Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Uh, good morning. Everybody doing well today? I want to welcome all of you who are here and everybody watching online as well. You know, last Sunday, I got the opportunity to celebrate my granddaughter's first birthday. It was totally awesome. Thank you. Literally, it feels like three weeks ago, I told you I had a granddaughter and wow, time flies. But I got to tell you, for all you grandparents out there, I get it. I totally get it. It's an awesome experience. I recommend it for everybody, okay, regardless of your age. Well, not really, but uh, all right. So this morning, we're wrapping up our series called, what is it, Troy? <laughs> Live like there's no tomorrow. Now, this is the very end of the book of 1 Thessalonians. I got to tell you, Paul has a lot to say as he wraps up this book. It's almost as if he knows he's coming to the end. Maybe, you know, he knows his time is running short. His scribe may be working on an hourly rate. I don't know. But it's like he pulls out this biblical shotgun and just sprays us with all kinds of incredible advice at the end of this book. So I've got a lot to cover this morning. We're going to move at a rapid clip. But basically, this advice falls into two main categories. God's word to you, like how God speaks to you, and God's work in you, how you allow his spirit to work in your life. So let's dive in here. And first of all, let's talk about God's word to you. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 22, we read this. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. If you were to look at the New American Standard Version, it actually says, do not quench the Spirit. And that Greek word quench there, spinute, it speaks of darkening a light or putting out a fire. And the Spirit does both. He enlightens us and he brings a fire, a passion for us to be more like Christ. And so what Paul is saying here is don't shade that light. Don't put out that fire. And I think it's worth noting that as Christians, we have the power. We have the ability to quench the Spirit's working in our lives. How? Well, anytime we sin, anytime we harbor unconfessed sin, anytime we ignore God's promptings in our lives, we quench the Spirit. Over in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, Paul gives a similar command when he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Basically, anytime we ignore God's word to us and we do what we know we shouldn't do or we don't do what we know we should do, we grieve, we quench the Spirit. And that's why Paul's very next statement is, do not treat prophecies with contempt. Now, you got to understand, any word from God is prophecy. When we hear that word prophecy, we always think it deals with the future. But biblical scholar F.F. F. Bruce gives us a good working definition of prophecy. He says that prophesying is just declaring the mind of God in the power of the Spirit. See, it's not just telling the future. It's not just foretelling. It is forthtelling. Concerning the New Testament gift of prophecy, Dallas Theological Seminary professor Dr. Tom Constable writes this. He says, the New Testament gift of prophecy was the ability to receive and communicate direct revelations from God. Sometimes these revelations concerned future events, but often they dealt with the present. 
By way of application, Christians should not disparage any revelation that has come to the church through the prophets of God and has been recognized as authoritative and preserved by the Holy Spirit in Scripture. And we should always avoid putting the ideas of men on an equal footing with the Word of God. That's why Paul warns us here, do not treat prophecies, God's Word to you, with contempt. Now, you need to understand that back in the first century, all they had was the Old Testament teachings. And so God called and he supernaturally gifted apostles and prophets to direct the affairs of the church and then to provide new revelation, what we have now in our New Testament, new prophecy. And it goes beyond the scope of this sermon to talk about whether God would supernaturally gift a prophet today. But either way, the tests that we're going to look at to determine if a word is truly coming from God, they're going to apply this morning. We're going to talk about that today. But we can know for sure that what's in this book right here is God's perfect word, that we can trust every word that God has written. So at least we shouldn't show contempt for the Bible, for God's word written down in the New Testament and the Old Testament. But we have to ask the question, what does that word contempt mean? Like, How would we show contempt? Well, the Greek term exuthaneo, it can be translated as disdain or despise, But I don't know many believers who would say, I despise the Bible. But that word contempt can also be translated as to treat something as no big deal. And that may be closer to the way that we could approach God's word. Paul says, don't ignore, don't blow off God's word. And I think in our culture today, in our time in history, we have constant access to God's word. We are blessed by that. And because it's so easily accessible, I think at times we can treat it as a little less than special, like we know that we can always get it. You ever heard the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt? Yeah, it means that sometimes we can have contempt for things that are just so common, so familiar. Oftentimes, people unwittingly treat their loved ones with contempt because they're always around. They tend to overlook their value. And for the average Christian, once the thrill of their new Bible wears off and they've heard hundreds of sermons, they've been to dozens of Bible studies, it's easy to get lulled into complacency. It's kind of like getting a new car, right? At first, you're so pumped about it, but as soon as the new car smell fades away, the new car is just like the old car. And I thought about this. Back when I was in seminary, this book right here was my textbook. And so literally, for hours on end, every single day, I read and I studied the Word of God. I memorized hundreds of passages of Scripture. And the trouble is, over time, it sort of lost its allure. I lost some of my passion, my enthusiasm for reading and studying the Word of God. And I've talked with other pastors who've struggled with that as well. And I've probably shared this with some of you before, but whenever I go on vacation, I really have to discipline myself when I go to another church service. Because as soon as the pastor gets up to give his message, I like to play this little game I call it the guess what the next point of the sermon is going to be game, right? I do, and I, and I sit there, and because I'm often for, frequently familiar with the topics and the scriptures involved, you know, I can usually guess what the next point, what the next passage of scripture is going to be, and I sit out there in my chair and go, <laughs> yeah, I knew it, yeah, I got it. Now, let me ask you, does, does that really help me or hinder me? It hinders me. Familiarity breeds contempt. Don't quench the spirit. Don't treat God's prophecies with contempt. And then Paul adds one more little caveat here. And this, whether it pertains to studying God's word or just evaluating information that you hear outside the Bible, this applies. He says, test 
everything. Test everything. People, don't accept something just because someone tells you. Don't accept something just because a pastor tells you or you hear it on Christian radio. Test everything. Some of the best advice you'll ever hear. Because there is plenty of unbiblical teaching out there, and a lot of it's coming from Christian teachers. And that's been going on since the first century. And so this morning, let me offer you two quick tests to determine whether what you're hearing is a word from God or a word from somewhere else. Okay, And these are tests that you can use with any sermon, any Bible study, whether you hear it in church, you hear it online. These are tests that you should use if a brother or sister in Christ comes up to you and says, hey, God told me that you should do such and such. Which, by the way, if you ever hear that, you should always be a little suspect, okay? I've always wondered, well, if God wanted me to do such and such, why did he tell you and not, and not me? Let me walk you through these tests real quick. The first test is the Scripture test. You know, this is a basic test. Does it agree with the Bible? This is the number one test because God is not going to contradict himself. So if you get a prompting that you think is coming from the Holy Spirit, or you hear something from somebody who's instructing you, you need to make sure that it lines up with the Bible. Over in Acts 17, verse 11, Luke says this, Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Boy, does that strike you? It doesn't matter if it's a pastor speaking or even the apostle Paul himself. It's a noble thing to go back and test everything against the scriptures. Now, many years ago, I read about this company that was marketing a huggable, washable, talking Jesus doll. You may have heard about this, okay? The doll sold for $15.95. It says, sporting fuzzy dreadlocks and a satiny beard, talking Jesus recites, quote, actual scripture verses to introduce children of all ages to the wisdom of the Bible. When you squeeze his red heart, his sayings include, I love you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. Hey, folks, that's not a Bible verse. <laughs> it's actually Bill Bright and Campus Crusade. And here's another one, okay? Your life matters so much to me. Hey, absolutely true, but it's also not a Bible verse. In fact, as I looked into it, only one of talking Jesus' messages was an actual scripture verse. Love each other as I have loved you, John 15, 12. And folks, that's why the first and foremost test of truth has to be the scripture test. Go back to this book over and over and over again. Okay, second vital test is what I would call the character test. Did you know that Paul frequently pointed to his character as proof that his message was true? In fact, Paul went so far as to say in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And this applies to anyone who is instructing you. Watching how they live their life tells you a lot. Like, is that individual harsh and dogmatic, or are they loving and gracious? Are they greedy, or are they giving? You know, do you see the fruit of the Spirit in that person's life? Do you see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I think it's one of the problems with a lot of Christian authors and radio and television ministers. You and I never get the chance to really sit down and get to know those individuals. And they may be great men and women of God, but how would you really know? You know I've heard some things about some of the most popular authors and speakers and theologians I wish I didn't know, and some of them concern me greatly. 
So as best you can, you need to try to make sure that you can trust the lifestyle of the person who's teaching you. Paul says to test everything. Test everything. And why do we test everything we hear? So we can critique the teacher if he's wrong? No, it says test everything, hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil. The reason we test everything is so we can hold on to the good stuff and get rid of the bad stuff, like steer clear of it. This phrase actually originally had to do with determining whether a coin was genuine or counterfeit. Like if it's counterfeit, you throw it away. If it's genuine, you hold on to it and you live it out. Now that last phrase here, avoid every kind of evil, is very significant. Someone once told me the best way to win a boxing match against evil is to never get in the ring in the first place. Like don't even show up. If you get into a boxing match with personal temptation, I'm telling you, you're going to lose every time. Satan is stronger than you are. The Bible says Satan is like a roaring lion, and he wants to tear you up. I don't know about you, but I tend to avoid roaring lions. Sometimes people think, oh, no, I'm super Christian. Like, I'm going to go into this situation. I'll be the lion tamer. Folks, Jesus is the lion tamer. We're called to avoid every kind of evil. And I'm telling you, I've known a lot of them in my own life. Too many great Christian men and women have fallen because they were overconfident. Rather than avoiding evil, they stepped into a situation where personal temptation took them down. In fact, in his book, Finishing Strong, Steve Farrar tells of a study conducted by Dr. Howard Hendricks of 246 men in full-time ministry. And I want you to listen to this. He says, Professor Hendricks was able to find nearly 250 men who without a doubt were very committed to Jesus Christ. Yet the thing they had in common was within 24 months of each other, within two years of each other, they got involved in sexual immorality. And after interviewing each man, Dr. Hendricks discovered three correlations between all 246 men who got suckered into the ambush of another woman. First, None were involved in any kind of personal accountability group. Second, each had ceased to invest in a daily personal time of prayer, scripture reading, and worship. And then finally, without exception, each of the 246 were convinced that moral failure, quote, will never happen to me. Never going to happen to me. Avoid every kind of evil. You need to pray, God, give me the wisdom not even to walk into a situation like that. Okay, I I don't even want to go there. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. That should be your daily prayer. And that's actually where Paul goes next. He prays for the Thessalonians. Okay, Paul's going to shift gears here from talking about God's word to you, and he's going to begin the topic of God's work in you. Look at verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. This is obviously Uh, pre-COVID. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. If you back up here, Paul's desire for all believers is what? that they would be holy and blameless. 
He says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. That word sanctify means to become holy. Sanctify and holy have the same Greek root word, hagiazo. It means to be distinct, to be set apart. We're to stand out in this world. And Paul also prays, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word blameless there, amemptos, it literally means without accusation. Paul's prayer is that we would progress to the point in the Christian life where nobody could bring an accusation against us based on our lifestyle. You say, well, how in the world can I become that Christ-like? How can I become holy and blameless? Well, people, there are four words at the end of this prayer that are crucial. And I'm telling you, if you don't get these four words, you're going to be discouraged for the rest of your life. You're going to feel like God wants me to be like this, but I'm like this. God wants me to change, but as hard as I try, I can't do it. And those four words are, he will do it. Never forget that. The God who called you is faithful, and he will do it. I'm telling you that the strength, the secret to any growth that's going to happen in you or in me is he will do it. The power behind any change that's going to happen in my life as a Christian is he will do it. It's got to be the Holy Spirit working in me. In John 15, 5, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We've got to have God's power. Now, that leads to a question, right? <laughs> if he's doing it, then, then what's my part? Like, do I just sit back in the chair and, and let him do it like a, a shampoo at the hair parlor? Is, is that kind of how it works? Like, how does it work? What do you do? What's my part? Well, the answer is nothing and everything. Okay, it's both. That's part of the tension and the joy of the Christian life. I have nothing to do with the results because it's God working in me. He gets the glory. And yet, I have everything to do with the process, right? Because Paul says, I can quench the Spirit. I can stop the Holy Spirit from working in my life. And we often get confused about this. We think, well, because I have a part in the process, I, I got to work it all out in my own strength. If I just put more effort into it, it'll all work out. It doesn't work that way. Because we have to have God's power source, the Holy Spirit, filling us up. And on the flip side, if we just sit back and do nothing, that doesn't work either. So we move forward in life prayerfully, moment by moment, asking God for his strength, doing life with God. The Bible talks about our need to be filled with the Spirit. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Okay, if you were to think of human beings as a car, the fuel that powers that car, the gasoline, is the Holy Spirit. He is the energy source. And we cannot run on empty. I heard a story many years ago about a Catholic nun named Sister Mary and Sister Mary, she worked for a home health care agency. And one day she was out making her rounds, visiting the homebound when her car ran out of gas. And so she decided, okay, I'm going to walk down the road. I know there's a gas station down there. She goes down there hoping to borrow a gas can and pay for some gas and fill up her car. But when she arrives, the attendant tells her that the one gas can he had is already on loan. But she doesn't want to wait around, so she goes back to the car to kind of search for something that she might be able to fill up with gas. And as she's rummaging around, she notices a bedpan that she was going to take to her patient. She thinks, okay, this, this might work, right? 
So she grabs this bedpan, walks all the way back to the gas station, fills it up, and, and very carefully totes it all the way back to her car. And as she's filling up her tank, two guys across the street are watching all this go down. And the one guy turns to the other and says, if that thing starts, I'm turning Catholic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I realize any analogy is going to break down somewhere along the line. But not unlike that car, if we're not filled up with the Holy Spirit, we're not going to move forward in life. He has to fill our tank, so to speak. The secret to any change, any change that's going to happen in your life, it's going to be the Holy Spirit working in us and with us, but not against us and without us. So our responsibility is to submit ourselves to him, to allow his spirit to fill us up, to align our will and our desires with his will and his desires. Lewis Berry Chafer calls this yielding yourself to God. Yield yourself to God. I like that. All right, since we're wrapping up the whole book of 1 Thessalonians today, I want to leave you with a little five-day experiment to help you apply some of the major lessons we've learned from this awesome book. So here's your plan for this week. Here we go. On Monday, I want you to get in the habit of staying connected to God throughout the day. We talk about it all the time around here, doing life with God moment by moment. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray continually. But just to make it practical, how about you take the first two minutes of any new activity in your day and you stop and pray? So when you first wake up in the morning, two minutes to pray. When you have breakfast, right before breakfast, two minutes to pray. Right when you get to work, two minutes to pray. That sounds like too much, do a minute, do 30 seconds, but pause at the beginning of each new activity and invite God to be a part of it and watch what God will do. See if that day isn't a little more fruitful, a little more joyful for you. Then on Tuesday, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, give thanks in all circumstances. So I want to challenge you to come up with three new things to give thanks for, okay? Three entirely different things you've never given thanks for before, you can be creative here. You might say, I've never thanked God for Neapolitan ice cream, okay? I hate it, but, you know, people love it, so I'll thank God for that. But just three new things that you can think of to give thanks for. Then on Wednesday, this one is simple, but it's really powerful. Write down those four words, he will do it. Write them down. Put them somewhere prominent where you'll see them throughout the day. He will do it. It's a great reminder to trust that God wants to change your life, but you got to let him. you got to let him. And Thursday, let's take another one from today's passage. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. You know, sometimes I think we treat certain parts of the Bible as less important. We kind of ignore them. So take a seldom read chapter of the Bible and read it on Thursday. For many of you, you're going to be going to Leviticus, the minor prophets, but just watch what God will do. See if God doesn't teach you something new, something fresh. And then finally, on Friday, I want to apply a lesson from a few weeks ago. And let's remember to reflect on the rapture. Reflect on the rapture. And one of the most incredible things I think we can contemplate as Christians is the return of Jesus and spending our eternity in heaven in his presence. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about the reward of a crown for those who eagerly await the coming of Jesus. So Friday, first thing in the morning, last thing at night, just spend a few minutes thinking about what it'll be like to meet Jesus in the air and be united with him and your loved ones forever and ever and ever.
Many years ago, Federal Express ran a commercial that spoofed the movie Castaway. You may remember that film. Uh, Tom Hanks played a FedEx employee whose company plane goes down, leaving him stranded on a desert island for five years. And during that entire duration of time, he had one package with him that he wasn't going to open, okay? One package he was going to keep as as a hope that, you know what, I'm going to make it back and I'm going to deliver this package, so I'm not opening it up. And I apologize a little bit for the quality of this clip. It was the best we can find. But take a look at this humorous little clip based on that film. Hi. Hi. I was marooned on an island for five years with this package. And I swore that I would deliver it to you because I work for FedEx. That's... Very admirable. Thank you. Hey, well, by the way, what's in the package? Uh, nothing really. Just a satellite phone, GPS locator, fishing rod, water purifier, and some seeds. Just silly stuff. Thank you again. You keep up the good work. <laughs> Love that commercial. I especially love that last line, you know, hey, what's in the package? Oh, nothing really, right? Just a satellite telephone, global positioning device, compass, water purifier, and some seeds. Ouch. Well, let me ask you this this morning. How often do we go through life thinking that we don't have the resources we need when God has given us the complete package? It's right under our nose. And just like that FedEx package, every resource we need for growth and strength in the Christian life, it's right there if we'll just take advantage of it. You know, the Bible says that God's Word and the Holy Spirit living in us give us all that we need for life and godliness. But we can ignore God's Word, right? We can quench the Spirit. We can do both of those. We can treat God's Word with contempt. We can live in the flesh and not allow His Spirit to fill our lives. That is our choice. So let me encourage you this morning, open up that package. Take advantage of God's tremendous resources this week. Start living like there's no tomorrow. Because who knows, the rapture may occur. And for us as Christians, there may be no tomorrow here on earth. Let's pray. God, as we conclude what is an amazing letter from the Apostle Paul, My prayer is that this week we would begin to apply these truths in in a new and fresh way. That we would trust that your Holy Spirit filling us up. And as we yield to your Spirit and, and study your word, that that would be all that we need for life and godliness. That you will do it. You will begin to make us holy and blameless. You will begin to help us to stand out in this world, to be salt and light in a dark world. And God, we're dependent upon you, but we recognize that you've given us the complete package. We have what we need for each and every day. So help us this week, this month, this year, for the rest of our lives to do life with you, to depend on the resources you've given us, and to watch you transform our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, thanks for being here this morning. You guys have a great day in the Lord.